so you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Romans chapter 6, verse 11. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Please be seated. I don't know if any of you know this about me yet, but I love graveyards. <laughs> uh, not in like that sort of creepy hang-out-late-at-night way. I mean like during the daytime, I, I, love, I love graveyards. Um, I love when you're driving by a country road and you see this little nook of the faithful departed uh, laid to rest. And the old seminary I went to was a very old school, and, and they had a graveyard on the property which... Uh, was for all the priests who had been to that seminary, finished their labors working for, for the church and for God, and came back to be buried there. So there were graves dating back actually to the 1820s. So there's hundreds and hundreds of priest graves. Um, and I used to love just walking through there in the afternoon, summer or winter, uh, to be among uh, my dead brothers. <laughs> um, do, do any of you feel similarly, or am I just really weird with that one? Does anyone know what I'm talking about? Okay, one! Nice, okay, I won't say who. Oh, a few! Okay, great. Yeah, there's something peaceful, right, about a graveyard. Uh, graveyards, by definition, of course, um, are full of the bodies of the dead. Um, how, how many of you have. Uh, well, actually, I don't. This, this is a, I phrase this as a question, but for the, it's a certainty in life, right, that we sometimes uh, have people that we love die. Uh, and there's, it's a painful but a holy moment to be there for that moment of death. Um, and part of why uh, in the traditional church we've always valued um, having the mortal remains of someone who has died in the church for the funeral service is so there's a chance to see this is where we're all going before we go to meet our Lord. Death is a real uh, and a painful reality. I I bring to mind sort of this heavy topic. Um, for some of us, you know, bereavements have been more or less recent. But I bring it to mind because unless we actually sort of bring to mind real death, uh, with all of its trappings, we'll actually fail to see what Paul is saying uh, in the reading to the Romans this morning. There's a temptation to think that Paul's just using hyperbole or metaphor, like you know how we speak when something really embarrassing happens. We say, oh, I, you know, I could have just died, right? We're using a metaphor, but, but Paul actually isn't speaking in this sort of metaphorical way. He's speaking in real terms. So we do well to bring real death uh, with all of its coldness of skin uh, to, the, to, to mind. So uh, did you hear what he was saying in the reading, well read by Lincoln this morning? Uh, listen again to these verses, realizing he's not talking about just sort of some metaphorical poetic way. When he says... All of us who've been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death. We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing. And if we have died with Christ... We believe that we will also live with him, so you also must consider yourselves dead to sin. That's, some, that's pretty heavy language, right? That's pretty potent words to be using about the Christian life. The, uh, the logic of this passage is, is brilliant, but it, it can be missed. But there's one big argument being made here, which I want to unpack uh, just what the logic is before uh, trying to say a little about what that could mean for us in our daily lives. So the logic is this. 
Um, the first fact is that Jesus died on a cross. Right? That's our starting place. But then he says, when we are baptized, the Holy Spirit takes our soul and welds it to Jesus Christ. We are united to Jesus Christ. So if we put those two things together, we are united to the one who died and rose again for us. Therefore, we have died and, are, and have been born again to a new life. I know that um, a, a lot of you are, are keen gardeners, so a gardening metaphor to try and uh, unpack this. Um, imagine, and I'm really reaching here because I know nothing about gardening, as also some of you have learned. I imagine that you have a 10-year-old tree uh, that's been through 10 years of summer and winter, and it's in full fruiting potential, and you, and you graft a new branch in. Once that branch takes, it can then flower and fruit with all of the vigor of those 10-year-old roots. Right? Everything which is gained by the host tree gets uh, imparted into the graft. And I think that's a figure, a way of understanding how this works with Christ. He gained immortal life for us by dying on the cross. We get grafted into him, and so his death and resurrection come into our lives. Now, uh, in saying this, it's uh, beyond obvious that our bodies don't die when we're baptized, <laughs> thankfully. Um, so the question is, well, what, what does die at baptism then? If our bodies obviously still remain through the baptismal waters, and it, Paul actually tells us very plainly. In verse 6 he says, it's our old self that gets crucified so that the body of sin might be destroyed. So these, we have these phrases, old self, body of sin, basically meaning everything that we are in and of ourselves as a result of our nature. So if you can even imagine it, who we are without God, that is what gets killed. The selfish, self-seeking, really, if we're honest, ugly self that does lie within each of us as human beings. Paul is saying that that self is as dead as a corpse in a coffin, having come in contact with the cross of Christ. If you have been baptized then who you are as you is completely dead. And a new thing has been born out of the waters of baptism. Paul elsewhere will call it a new creation. It's, uh, it's no accident, but part of God's perfect orchestration of things in both creation and the revealing of his word, that in the beginning of creation, the spirit hovers over waters. And in the beginning of new creation, the spirit uses baptismal waters. There's a connection there. So, um, being born from the, fond, the new life that we live is Christ's life within us. And it's a life that is to be oriented towards the eternal enjoyment and worship of God. So, so that, all that to say, in the passage, this is uh, an objective fact. Just plain, it's just a claim. But because all of these things happen in the unseen places, right? Nothing changes outwardly after you've been dipped or sprinkled uh, in the water. Because it's inward and unseen, it's actually possible to forget this reality. It is possible to forget what's happened to ourselves, to happen to ourselves that they have been crucified with Christ. I actually think this act of forgetting, um, it's really tragic, but so common, right? And, and I, deep down, I think we really know this. I think this explains why 
we're so haunted by um, stories of like from fairy tales and things of princes who forget where they came from. Right? It's Disney's Anastasia. Uh, I see we've got some little ones with us. Anastasia, Disney's Tangled. Uh, the same theme, that there's a forgetting where you came from. Even in the Bible, we have the story of Moses being raised by Egyptians and this question of will he remember where he came from or not? Because I think deep down we know that we are kind of repeating that pattern to greater or lesser degrees, forgetting what's really been tr- true of us, that we have been crucified with Christ. So that is why Paul writes verse 11, which is the verse I began with, as he does, when he says, you must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. He's not saying, you know, try and conceptualize yourself like this. What he's saying here is uh, really, especially the word consider could maybe has the weight of like um, remember or reckon yourself to be. Remember what is real. God's saying, remember who you are. Consider what has happened to you when you were baptized. Remember where you came from and then live in harmony, in accord with that reality. So that's kind of the big logic of the passage. Um, Does that make sense? I can keep clarifying if it doesn't. So if you want the sermon to be longer, you you can not not nod your heads. No, but do you see, so Christ crucified, we're united to him, we've been crucified. And then we need to remember the facts. That's kind of the four stages of the argument. And this is actually a really important message uh, for us in America today because there's this sneaky message going around uh, through all the churches, no one's immune, um, which says basically when you boil it down, um, you know what, enjoy everything you enjoy and just add faith on Christ and enjoy eternal life on top of that. As if we just get written into the family of God at no cost to us. But the Bible is very clear that the opposite is the case. That being adopted as children of God uh, in baptism, it, it costs us everything. It actually costs uh, the entirety of our natural self to be put to death. In other words, Christian life must always begin with a cross. Then there's resurrection, right? Then there's the inheriting of the promises and the gifts of God, but only after a death. So... Uh, what does that mean in our lives to really take this seriously? What does it mean to be, to be dead? To be a dead man or a dead woman? Um, and the answer to that is actually super simple. Um, think of a dead man, maybe in a coffin at a funeral or something. Is he pursuing the pleasures of the world? Is he acquiring wealth for himself to store up for later days? Is he glancing lustfully at those who walk by? Is he excited when others praise him? Is he moved by troubles and bad things he hears on the news? Is he bragging about his accomplishments? It's kind of comic to even think about, right? Of course not. The answer is no. A dead man can't do any of those things. He can't pursue sin or anything that leads to sin because he's dead. He's at peace. I think that's that peacefulness that we experience in a graveyard to be sort of the thought of not being thrown about by the passions inwardly and outwardly. And I think this image of a dead man is what we need to keep in mind when we're tempted to follow anything that would lead us away from God. So I really believe what the scripture is saying here is that it's not enough to just sort of confess with our lips that we're sinners. That's necessary and right, right? But it's not enough if 
we are sort of saying that with our lips, but inwardly trying to sort of like revive the dead man to go sort of pursuing. I always think of like the zombie image, like, come on, dead man, come up and stop pursuing the things of this world and the things that take us away from God. No, if our old self has been put to death, we need to keep it there. We need to act like it. Because Paul actually says it's an if. Only if we've died with Christ will we come to share in his resurrection. So how do we do that? How do we remember in the week, in our normal lives, that we are dead? I I think here actually the the Desert Fathers, these uh, holy men in the 3rd and 4th century, there's all these anecdotes where they really took seriously this spiritual reality that they're dead. In sort of very stark ways, there's a few anecdotes of um, them having a relative who literally physically dies and they, inherit, they receive an inheritance, and they say, oh no, I can't receive that inheritance because I too am already dead. And they pass the inheritance on to someone else. And that's sort of that like, really literal reception of this truth. What patterns of prayer can we cultivate to uh, believe similarly? I was thinking about it, and the best thing I know in my own life to really remember this um, is actually the sign of the cross. You know, we've been talking about patterns of prayer to cultivate, and many of these are inward prayers, vocal prayers, but the Lord, the, 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 the church has actually given us sort of outward forms which we can use to also guide ourselves towards God in prayer. And one of those is the sign of the cross. When we make the sign of the cross, we're literally right, etching the cross of Christ over, us, over ourselves. We're saying, I have been crucified with Christ. I am dead. And so, you know, you can pray a lot of things when you make the sign of the cross. We use it at different parts in the liturgy. Um, often when I make it, I'm just saying, Jesus, help me. I make it, that's a simple prayer. But I'm also remembering, oh yeah, I'm dead. And so I encourage you, uh, if the sign of the cross is not already a part of your prayer life, to make it so, to remind yourself, oh yeah, this guy, this guy has been crucified with Christ. And that as a dead person, I don't have a will of my own besides what my Father wants for me. Um, this is especially useful in that moment of temptation. For whatever um, thing is tempting to you according to your stage of life and where you're at, uh, I encourage you that my first shield of defense when I become aware that I'm being tempted towards something is to make the sign of the cross. And in doing it, I'm reminded, oh yeah, oh yeah, I belong to Jesus. Oh yeah, Jesus help me. I need help in this temptation. The gesture can recall me to pray for mercy. And sometimes if I'm in a place where uh, it would really be very strange, sometimes I like to do it as a witness to the world, um, but if it would be very strange in the middle of a conversation or something to be like, hang on one second. <laughs> what I'll do is, and you'll catch me, that sometimes if, if a thought's coming that's you know, s- proud or self-inflated or, je- or jealous or judgmental, to just make the sign of the cross on the forehead. Just say, no, Lord, I don't want that thought. I've been crucified with Christ. Uh, a small thing. sounds so small, but I encourage, if you haven't tried it, try it. As, to, as a physical reminder to pray to our Lord so that we can consider ourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. So uh, before wrapping up, um, I want to offer a word of encouragement for you if you're like me. Sometimes there are some days, right, where it seems like I'm almost invested in sort of bringing back this dead man, like bringing back the zombie uh, to pursue the things of the flesh rather than remaining dead. If that's true of uh, you in any way, I want to make clear that the the right understanding of this passage in Romans, it is not saying that if we just remember our baptism, we just won't sin again. It's not saying that. 
That's the error of uh, different holiness movements in the past. And actually, the spirit of Phariseeism that could rise up in any church to say, you know, I, I thank God that I'm not like that sinner over there. Right? That's unfaith. That's not faith. Now, it's not that we would never sin again. I wish, you know, for the love of our Lord, I wish that it were the case, right? But it's not. It's simply that if we wish to stop sinning, which we should, right? we should wish to stop sinning, we don't have to take up some new scheme of self-improvement. Contrary to how it might appear sometimes, Christianity is not a religion about self-improvement. It's not straining forward. It's actually a looking backwards. If we wish to stop sinning, we need to look back first always to Golgotha, to the cross, and to our baptisms. This is why we have cross and fonts right in here. So we look at Christ and say, yeah, you died for me. And because of the waters of baptism, I've been united to that death. It's the looking back that allows us to lay claim to the power of the risen Christ to conquer temptation and to keep the old self dead in the grave. And, and really, this is a daily task. Paul, you know, he wrote the book of Ephesians uh, almost certainly after he wrote Romans. And in Ephesians, he says, I die every day, which is a great motto for a Christian. I die every day. Every day, every, every minute if I have to. Anytime that the old self is uh, attempting to rise up and not remain dead. I die every day. I die every day. Every time we make the sign of the cross, we pray for the grace to remain uh, united to Christ, having our old self put to death. Every time we do that, we re-etch his, his cross on our lives. And as we do that, of course, Christianity is not about, it's not a religion focused with death as its end. Death is the means to life. Our Lord died so we, could be so we could be raised again. We come through the, the death of our old self so that we can live the new life of a Christian. Um, but, but they're necessary. We can't just leap to the life bit. I've been preaching a lot about the death this morning because I think we're, our tendency is we just want to leap to the life. But only, only through death can we get there. But when if we focus on that, remaining, having our old self remain dead with God's help, then we can actually really enjoy God and get to know him more and more and start to even enjoy the life he's given us rightly, loving things ordinately rather than inordinately. If we pass our days, uh, eventually, if, uh, as men and women who are already dead, uh, actual death becomes much less scary. <laughs> and when our days are done, we know we will live forever that there's actually everything worked out in the midst of day-to-day -day life here is magnified when we die. If it's death with Christ, it's life with Christ, now and hereafter. So that's our hope, and that's what we're seeking uh, to inherit through seeking to remain united to Christ in his death. Amen.